Lord, we thank you for every good and perfect gift that comes down from you. The Father of lights, in whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Would you bless the gift this morning, and would you bless the giver? Would you encourage our children as they have slipped out and, Lord, cause them to glimpse how good you are? As we sang, you are a good, good father. Cause us to know that at a deeper and deeper level this morning. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, good morning, Salt Box. Uh, Michael and Abby, you may or may not know, um, are taking a personal weekend, and uh, we have encouraged them to do that. We being the elders, I being one of them, my name is Steve, I happen to be Michael's father. Don't hold that against me. <laughs> um, Clive and Ruth Calver are still overseas, uh, ministering in some very... Um, difficult circumstances. If you're visiting here today, and if this is your very first time, I would just like to give you a big welcome. You know, we, um, Michael felt led after a year of, of simply uh, praying that God would have him begin a church, and um, it's been sort of fun just to watch what God's doing, primarily by word of mouth, a couple little Facebook or Instagram dealies here and there. You know what dealie is, right? It's just, you know. um, but other than that, it's really been sort of a, it's really been sort of a word of mouth thing, and it's um, kind of exciting to watch that uh, happen. Now, I got a little feedback, and I don't know if it's because I'm getting too close to the speakers or just, just keep going. Okay. Um, but I just want to say how much I appreciate each of you and your serving. Uh, I came this morning uh, earlier than I normally do, and the team of people whom God has assembled uh, to lead, <laughs> to set up, to encourage, I mean, it's just, it's been really amazing. And um, as we were worshiping this morning, I was just sort of gripped afresh by, you know, this is how I fight my battles. Uh, most of us want to fight our own battles, if truth be known. You know, just roll up those sleeves and get in there and uh, make it happen. Um, <clears throat> Michael has actually planned out and is beginning today, that is I am for him, beginning today a new series. And uh, if uh, that, put that little slide up here, if you would, on... It's about how to think and how to act and how to speak. And Michael calls it Christianly. And I don't know if that's a word or not, but how do you think like a Christian? How do you act like one? And how do you speak like one? And uh, so beginning today, he asked me if I would kick off the series on um, thinking. And I said I would be glad to do that and share what little bit I may know. 
but I fought the battles, and I've been in ministry for almost 40 years, and uh, have some scars to show you uh, from it, and certainly have the t-shirt, um, but I want to, what it really comes down to, this notion of thinking differently, um, has to begin by this notion of grace. Uh, what is grace, and how do we understand it? Um, so I've entitled this, if you have to have a title, um, Living Daily by Grace. Now, most of us think we live by grace, but from a practical standpoint, um, we live a good bit of our life out of our own performance. After all, Debbie, it's about me, isn't it? It's up to me. Well... The scandalous news, the good news is that it's really not about you. It's really about him and what he has done. So I want to begin uh, by just tagging a couple of verses. And you may know the verse in, I think it's Proverbs 23, uh, 7, um, where it says, as a man, and of course you know it means also a woman, it's, as a person thinks in their heart, come on, finish it for me, so are you. So thinking actually begins the cascade of events that will cause you to act differently and speak differently, but if you never get a hold of how you think, uh, you'll never win the battles. Or to put it more biblically and accurately, Jesus will never win the victory through your life unless you allow him to transform how you think. Romans 12, 2. Some of you can quote that verse. Be not conformed, pressed into the world's mold, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, the renewing of your mind is simply beginning to align your thoughts with what God has said. Because a lot of times our thinking is not aligned, it's sort of askew from what God says. So, my part of the equation is not to do anything other than to believe what God said about me. Um, I'm no longer a slave to sin. We might battle sin, but we're going to go there and begin to look at what Jesus has done for that uh, whole issue. So I want to begin by um, this first slide that God has actually set us free in his grace um, to be free from performance. Um, is anybody glad about that? Because you sometimes feel like you're that little hamster, you know, on the treadmill, and you're just running hard as you can, you know, and you're just working, you're doing everything you can do, and lo and behold, you mess up. And then you beat yourself up till it feels like Jesus comes. 
But God has actually uh, wants to set us free from our performance, from our own personal works. Now, just bear with me because this is going to go somewhere, and uh, it's it really dovetails. It's part of the simplicity of the good news. Paul said on one occasion, as the enemy beguiled Eve, seduced her into believing a lie, so I fear that your minds would be uh, seduced from the simplicity that it's in Christ. Jesus is really simple. He need not be theologically complex. You need not theologically to think complexly but if you look at Jesus and what he has done and align your thinking with what he says, you're going to be okay. You're going to turn out okay. So God sets us free in Jesus from all of our performance. Grace is 100% God's work. 100% God's work. You see, grace is this thing that's called a gift, you remember Christmas morning when you were little? And there's a big package maybe wrapped up with a bow on it. You just couldn't wait to open that package. And, and, and someone provided that for you. Now, did you do anything for it? Now, they may have tried to control you and said, if you're a good little girl or you're a good little boy, then. But see, that's not what God does. He simply offers you this amazing gift, and he presents it to you, and he says, this is absolutely free. There's nothing you can do to deserve it. There's nothing you can do to spoil it. You can't be good enough. You can't be bad enough. Here it is. It's yours. Now, what is your part in getting that gift? You align yourself with God's word, for God so loved the world that he gave, there it is, there's the gift, his only son, that whosoever, now what's your part? Believe. Believes. Aligning yourself with what God says, you'll have everlasting life. Now, I don't know why, but so many people make the gospel complicated. They want to add to it. Well, I got to work harder. I got to run faster. I got to not think this, don't do that. Oh my goodness, what if I. It's simply a gift. And that gift causes us to cease from performance. God provides the gift. My work is simply to believe and to receive the gift that he provides. Remember Abraham, way back in the Old Testament, Genesis 12, 13, 14, 15, that area. Abraham, the scripture says, believed God. He came in alignment with what God said, and the scripture goes on and it says that belief in what God said caused something radical to happen. God credited to his account righteousness. Now, do you think Abraham was inherently righteous? No, I, I would suggest to you that he wasn't. He was just like you. Imperfect in all of his ways. But the good news is, when we align our thinking, that's the concept we're talking about, when we align our wayward thinking with what God says about us and what he has done, boom, the gift is received by faith. That's your part. 
the gift is his part. Abraham believed God and it was reckoned, it was imputed, it was credited to his account as righteousness. So, grace, number one, is, uh, sets us free from all of our performance. Now we're going to go to the next level and see how that is actually so. How is it so? How can it be that God simply says, here's the gift, you just open it by believing and receiving it. Uh, well, it has to do, uh, number two, uh, the grace of God sets us free from the penalty of our sin. There it is. Now, people get kind of squeamish when you talk about sin. Now, why is that true? Because we all have it. We all have a propensity to go astray. That's what Isaiah 53 said. All we like sheep have done our own thing. We've gone our own way. There's none righteous. No, not even one. That excludes you. From That excludes me. In and of myself, you and I um, have this, this deformity, if you will, called sin. Romans 6, verse 23. Now, if you're a Christian this morning, you understand this. This is the simplicity of the gospel. This is not complicated. But the wages of your sin and my sin creates the penalty that's required, which is death. Everybody go, boo, that's bad news. Your sin requires death. The soul that sins shall die. Why? Because, A, God is holy. That means he is absolutely other than what is true for you and me. And secondly, he is a judge that is just. If he's holy and if he's just, then he is required to do something with this issue called sin. The wages, what you get paid out because of sin is what the Bible calls death. Bad news. But if you don't embrace the bad news, you don't see how good the good news is. Uh, look with me. I'm just going to hit a couple of scriptures here. Um, Romans 5.18 uh, talks about the universality, if you will, of sin. It says, therefore, as through one man's offense. Now, who are they talking about here? Who? Adam. Everybody say, Adam. Through one man's sin, Adam, judgment came to all men. Now, that doesn't exclude you, ladies. just means all people, anthropos, everybody, um, to all resulting in condemnation. So, not only are the wages of sin death, but everybody's got it. We might clean it up. We may try hard to look good, but at the heart of who you and I are as human beings, we're slightly off, tilt. We just don't measure up because of this thing called sin. Romans 5.19 says, for by one man's disobedience, that's Adam, many were made sinners. Now, you might not like that. You might say, well, that's not fair. But somehow in the economy of God, God uh, set this 
original prototype couple in a perfect environment and gave them the choice and they chose to go their own way and you and I inherited that propensity. Now, not only did you inherit it, but therefore you live it out every day of your life. Try as you will to go straight, you go crooked. Someone mentioned, I think Rick it was this morning, some of you are here this morning struggling with. That's what we're talking about. It's our natural bent. We want to go uh, and do what is right, but we end up just kind of gravitating off. It's like driving down the highway in your car and you take your, this was before cars that drove themselves. <laughs> but you take your hands off the wheel. And usually you won't go very far until your car starts to drift to the left or to the right. Now, if you don't get a hold of the wheel, you'll end up somewhere you don't want to go. Into the median or into the oncoming traffic or into the ditch or, or something. So it is with every human being. Uh, so God sees the situation um, and he goes, you know what, i got to do something about this. Remember, God is holy and God is just, but there's another stream into that equation and that is God is love. So in his justice and in his holiness and in his love, he conceived of a plan that would help my sorry hide, that would help us in our problem, which is sin. And uh, God's solution was to send Jesus to pay the penalty. Now that's radical. Th that is scandalous. Can you imagine uh, a judge every time a person would come to him or to her, they would simply say, nah, not guilty, I'm going to pay for your penalty. That's how scandalous this is. But that's exactly what God did. Uh, God sent Jesus to pay the penalty, to pay the price uh, for your sin and for my sin. Romans chapter 5 mostly in Romans 5. In Romans 5, uh, verse 6, it says, For when we were still without strength, that means there's nothing you can do about the problem. When we were still without strength, in due season, Christ died for the ungodly. See, that's me, the ungodly. That's you. I know, get used to it. That's who you are until Jesus comes and pays the penalty. Now, if, you, if you're here and you've never really understood this thing, there are lots of religious systems out there that say you need to help pour God out. It really is about your performance. And that's what causes them to be in error. Because the grace of God is 100% about God and what he did for us. You see, the solution... Uh, that God did was by sending his son uh, to die for us. Romans 5, 8, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, uh, we were dead, but Christ made us alive. So we are dead in our sin, 
And along comes Ephesians chapter 2, and it says, you were dead. But in Jesus, you're made alive. Um, dead in Jesus, now you're dead in sin, now you're alive in Jesus. So what God actually did for us is that he provided the means by which your penalty was paid. Now, how much did you bring to that equation? Well, I'm an awfully good person. Wrong answer. It doesn't matter how good you are. Oh, you don't know what I've done. I've shared in our small group some things in the last couple of weeks where I've been, what I've done. Coming out of the drug culture of the 60s and living in immorality and drugs and dealing those. Trust me. But you see, receiving this grace, this gift of God, it's not about what you bring to the equation. It's about what Jesus did. So if you're trying to help God out this morning with this gift that's been given to you, my admonition would be simply stop and align your thinking with what God has said. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift, the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So you can begin to take the pressure off of yourself to perform. Oh, I had that thought. Yeah, I did. You know, oh, I did that. Yeah, I did. And we'll get, to, we'll get to how to deal with that in just a minute. But recognize that the penalty that you deserve has been paid for by another. That is the gospel. Um, by grace... That's just another word for gift, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. You can, most of you can quote it. It is by grace that you've been saved through faith. This is not of yourself. It's the gift of God, lest anyone should boast. What does that mean? It means if you allow yourself to believe errantly, that you had something to do with your salvation, it wouldn't be long until you were boasting in it. Look who I am. It's this notion of holier than thou. You're holier than nobody. Except by the gracious gift of God who credits to your account righteousness and holiness and acceptability. 100%. What did I do? Nothing. What did he do? Everything. Will you let Jesus pay for your penalty? Will you allow Jesus to be the substitute for your sin? Will you allow Jesus to take your place? You see, if God is holy, and if he is just, and if the wages of our sin is death, we're the one that deserves a cross. But Jesus came so that you would not have to go to that cross and pay the penalty for your own sin. Oh, folks, it doesn't get any better than that. Amen. To actually understand what God has done for you in Jesus, he actually takes your sin and puts it on somebody else. And his name was Jesus, we call him. Yeshua, little Jewish boy from Nazareth, the Messiah, 
Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the earth. He took, he, God, took your sin and put it on Jesus. I feel like an infomercial. But there's more. <laughs> he takes the righteousness of Jesus and puts it on the likes of you, Terry. And now you don't deserve any wit of it, but now God looks at you and he says, you might not think you are, but I see you as righteous and holy and absolutely spotless because of what Jesus did. Jesus paid for the penalty, and you are therefore free. Come on. Like Michael said, I'm preaching better than you're responding. <laughs> you see, that's the good news. Oh, and how good it is. Well, there's more. <laughs> You see, not only are we set free from our performing, from our performance, not only are we set free from the penalty that we deserve, which is death, this is where it gets just a little more complicated and hard for us to get. But if you'll go to that next slide, um, God actually sets us free not just from our performance, not just from our penalty of sin, but he sets us free from the power of sin. Oh, oh, God, would you give us the capacity to grasp by your spirit what you and you alone have done. Now, for most of us, we get number two, which is Jesus paid the penalty. But then we go about rowing our own canoe in our own effort, don't we? Come on, all you need to do is sin grievously. And what happens? You start beating yourself up. Now, I, I, I get there's a response when we're, we're responsible, but I guarantee you that most of us think it's about us, and it's really not about us. It's about him. He, he sets us free from our performance. He sets us free from the penalty of sin, but he sets us free from the power of sin. Now, I didn't say that. That's what God said. And when I begin to think according and in alignment with what God says, something profound begins to happen. I begin to notice that what used to hold me captive, we, we called them besetting sins. You know, you know what they are? They're sins that you do or say or think. And you go, oh, you can't do that. And you, and you try hard and you, you, go, you walk a little bit and then you do it again. Y'all know what I mean? Tim does. <laughs> He's been there and done that, right? Got the T-shirt. Come on. And you go a little bit longer, and you walk in some victory, and then slam, you fall again. And you, walk, you get yourself up, and you beat yourself up, and you repent, and you do all that stuff, and you walk a little further, and slam, you get it again. That's besetting sin. That's a sin that has a reoccurring pattern in your life, and it's, it's actually related to what you think. Not so much what you do. It has the outworking because as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. You become and you act out what you think. That's why grace is so important to understand that God broke the power of our performance. He breaks the power of penalty of our sin. And he actually breaks the power of sin in our life. Now, every Christian so far, I believe, has received the understanding 
by and large, that Jesus paid it all. Oh, to Jesus, I surrender, you know. I surrender all. Jesus paid it all. We get that. And I'm a Christian because Jesus paid it all. But see, now I go about trying to help Jesus uh, help. I try to live the Christian life in my own strength. Does anybody know that one besides me? And it will wear you out. Performing. Now, Paul in Galatians said, you know, foolish Galatians, you began by the Spirit, but now you're made perfect by the flesh. The good news is we can stop rowing our canoe if we begin to look to Jesus in what he has already done. Now, now follow with me. I think it will become clear. This could become revolutionary and transformational to some of you this morning. We must accept that the power of our sin is broken. Both things are true. Jesus paid for the penalty of my sin, but he also paid to break the power of sin. We must accept both of them by letting Jesus do it all. Now, if Jesus paid the penalty for our sin by dying for us, he was our substitute. Watch this. Jesus breaks the power of sin by us dying with him. Jesus died for us to pay the penalty. We died, you died, I died with Jesus to break the power of sin. Where does that come from? Well, let's look at Romans chapter 6, uh, verse 2. It says, um, well, shall we continue to sin so that grace may abound? And that's the logical question. If it's all about grace, can't we just go around and do what we want to do? Well, the answer to that is really you can. For a season, you might. But the grace of God, the free gift of God, will always bring you back to the place where well, this, this isn't good. Why? Because you're not in alignment with what God has said. Now, Paul says, certainly not. How shall we who died to sin? Isn't that a neat phrase? Died to sin. How shall we who died to sin any longer live in it? Or don't you know? I'm reading here, right here out of the Bible, New King James, um, Romans chapter 6, verse 3. Or do you not know that as many of us who have been baptized into Jesus, now that's a picture, above the water, below the water, entering into Jesus by faith. Or don't you know, um, as many of you as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Now, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. What Paul is saying here is when you believe God about what Jesus did, not just to pay your penalty, but to break the power of sin, you'll be set free from it. Isn't that good? Now, now, that doesn't mean that you're now sinlessly perfect. No, you still got the first issue, the wages of sin. We still got the old man who wants to go this way, but he always goes off course. That is your lot as being human. But Jesus sets you free from the penalty and he sets you free from the power 
of that sin. Now, Romans 6, 6 says this, For our old man was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be dealt, done away with. Selah. Sort of let that soak for a minute. You see, it's when we begin to believe what God said that we, were, we died with Christ, we've been baptized into his, into his death, um, the old man was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be done away with. Does that really mean what it says? Shall be done away with? How come I still have these stupid thoughts that plague me? How come I still got this human lust at times? How, how come I still say dumb things when I shouldn't? You know what I'm saying? All that stuff. How come I'm tempted to take this or that at the office? You know, if that is true, then why do I still have the propensity? You always will have the propensity, but remember, Jesus paid the penalty, and he also broke the power of it. The power of that sin is now dealt with. Um, the old man is crucified, the body of sin is done away with. Now, Romans 6, 11 says, Therefore consider yourselves to be dead. There was a movie once called Dead Men Walking. Dead Man Walking. It was about some prison movie. That's really, that's really the picture of you, the picture of me. Insofar as God is concerned, you were dead in your sin... And so was I, and God made us alive in Jesus because he paid the penalty. But now that you're alive, God now sees you as dead. Well, Paul said something like that. I think it was in, where was that? Um, maybe Galatians 2. How's, anybody know how that goes? 2.20. I have been crucified. There it is. I have been crucified with Christ. Well, nevertheless, I live, yet not I anymore, but Christ who lives in me. No, I didn't say that. I mean, I did, but I wasn't the originator of that. God was. So that when you begin to align your thinking with what God has said, the power of sin just falls away. This is one of my favorite verses in Romans chapter 6, verse 14. It says this. Now you decide whether this is true or not. Whether it's true for you or not. It says, for, as, for sin shall not have dominion over you shall not dominate your life. Sin shall not control you anymore. Why? Because you're not under the law, but you're under grace. Now, what is this thing about the law and grace? The law always says, do. You can write that down. The law always says, do. Do this, do that, don't do it, do more. Look what you did. The law says, do, but grace always says, Done. Say, well, is, is that too simple? No, that's the gospel. That's the scandalous reality of what God has done for us 
by breaking the power of our performance, by breaking the power of, of the penalty of our sin, and he breaks the power now of our sin because he's already dealt with it. Now, the good news is that you don't have to paddle your canoe anymore. Um, and now we'll get to this, what happens when I, in just a minute, um, but we access victory over the penalty of our sin simply by faith in what Jesus did. You know, I, I, I was, um, a number of years ago, I just did something really stupid. I won't go into, all, I won't go into any of the detail about it, because A, it's embarrassing, um, but just trust me, it was just stupid. And it took me the longest time to forgive myself. Anybody know that one? Now, now what is that? It's what? It's condemnation. What else is it? Pride? It's not believing what God has said and bringing my thinking into alignment with what he said. See, the wages of sin is death. I understood that. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So instead of beating yourself up forever, just shout the victory. God, I thank you that you didn't fail. See, Jesus never fails. Okay, you failed. <laughs> Get a grip. Give it enough time and enough opportunity. As soon as you take your eyes off of Jesus, you'll begin to fail. Remember Jesus? Walking on the water, disciples in the boat. Peter said, hey, if that's really you, bid me come. Jesus just said, come on. Over the gunnel he went. Onto the surface of the lake he went. And as long as he kept his eyes upon Jesus, he was fine. And so will you be. Guess what happens when the eyes start looking at the waves? Or yourself, your own abilities or lack thereof. You'll begin to fail every time. Why? Because Jesus paid for the penalty, but he also broke the power of your sin. And it's not about you, it's really about him. You don't have to paddle your own canoe. Now let me, let me sort of wind this up and give you uh, three perils of this, what I'm calling living daily by grace or um, living victoriously. This is about God's victory. You know the little text? I couldn't find it. I think it's in 2 Corinthians. Paul says, thanks be to God who giveth, in the King James, who giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what did Paul mean? He meant, you have victory given to you, free from performance, free from the penalty that you deserve, free from the power of sin. You have victory. Somebody say, yeehaw. <laughs> See, is all you need to do is align yourself with what God has said, and victory is yours. But I, it's not about I, it's about him. Get your eyes on Jesus, and all that stuff falls away. Now, the first peril of, of what I call radical grace, or living daily by grace, or this victory that's been absolutely given to you and to me, the first peril, uh, um, Peril is what I would, and there's a number of them. I'm only going to list three. One is uh, doubt and failure. 
Like Peter, when he took his eyes off of Jesus, he began to doubt. And down he went through failure. Now, see, if you take your eyes off Jesus, you'll begin to fail. Not once, every time. Lean on your own understanding, live in your own effort long enough, and you will fail. Because God didn't ask you to do anything but to believe. Remember last week, Pastor Michael was preaching on Paul and Silas in the, in the dungeon of Philippi. And I love, Perry, what you uh, had us worshiping to. Every t- who, this is how I fight my battles. They were just, they were fighting the battles, how? Through prayer and through singing hymns. Were their feet in stocks? Yes. Were they chained up? Yes. Was it a stinky, nasty dungeon? Yes. Were they under Roman guard? Yes. Could they do anything about it? No. They couldn't do anything. It's a picture of me. It's a picture of you. It's the picture of of us. But they simply began to worship, and and what began to happen? We talked about this in our small group. There There was a rattling at first, a rumbling. Remember, it was an earthquake. You know, things, ever been in an earthquake? I've been in a five up in Anchorage, Alaska. And the balls on the pool table began to chatter. It's like, whoa, what is this? I, I wonder if we're having an earthquake. And they've had big ones out there. But anyway, things began to rattle. And all of a sudden, a crack happens in the floor, I'm assuming. And maybe in the wall of the dungeon. And the, 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 the grates or the whatever, the doors or the bars began to go whopper-jawed and split, and boom, they're open. Now, we thought, you know, why didn't they just run? Because that's what the Philippian jailer thought would happen. He was going to fall on the sword because he knew he'd be killed by his, uh, the people in authority if the prisoners escaped. (laughs) I think God said, or Paul said, See, this was an intervention. This was like grace. This was a surprise. This was a serendipity. This was a we can't do anything but God. Boom. The shackles fell off. Why didn't they run? That's what the jailer thought they would do. I think Paul and Silas were sitting there going, son, this is going to be good. (laughs) Because they couldn't do anything, and God showed up. That's what grace does. You can't do anything, and God shows up, and he breaks your tendency to perform. He breaks the penalty that you deserve. He breaks the power of your sin, and he sets us uh, free. Uh, Failure, if, if you fail, some of you are under the labor of your failure this morning. Now, how do I know that? Because I breathe the same air you do. I understand You're under the labor, and I think, uh, Rick, where are you, Rick? Called it out this morning. Some of you are dealing with plus. Maybe that is true. Statistically, I would suspect probably half a dozen, dozen of us are, or more. But see, what happens when uh, you fall into, when you begin to fail, I would say shout the victory all the more because you may have failed, but Jesus hasn't failed. Now, what happened? As soon as you begin to shout the victory, whoo, 
God, thank you. You're aligning yourself with what God has said, and the power of that sin begins to be broken. And you didn't row any stroke of your canoe. You simply said, God, I can't, but you can, and I'm going to believe what you have said, have said, and it is now credited to your account as righteousness. What do you think about that? Isn't that amazing? God credits to your account righteousness, justified by his blood that was shed. So that's doubt and failure. When you fail and when you sin, and you will, shake your head, I will, if not today, then tomorrow, if not tomorrow, then next week, if not next week, next month, you will, and when you do, confessing it, a little Greek word is, is I think it's homologeo. What it means is that you simply agree with God. Oh, agree, watch what's happening. God said, and you're agreeing with him, you're confessing, and you're repenting. And what does repentance mean? Metanoia, change noia, your mind. How do you change your mind? By getting back under what God has said and believing him. It's not about you. Stop rowing your canoe. You say, God, I can't live this Christian life. I used to hate this phrase, duh. <laughs> you can't live the Christian life. You weren't meant to live the Christian life. And pastors everywhere are preaching this, this gospel error that says now that you're a Christian, then you need to, then you must, then you can't. Row your own canoe. And I would say to you, if you read the word of God accurately, it says throw your flippin' paddle in the lake. Set yourself adrift and let the grace of God, who will eradicate your need to perform, who will set you free from the penalty of your own sin, who will break the power of sin in your life, and will, will release you into a victorious life that is not by your own doing. Ooh, that's good stuff. <laughs> Okay, let me give you another. Overconfidence or underconfidence. The longer we continue in victory, the safer we are. Shake your head. That's not true. You see, when you're strong, the tendency is to begin to rest upon your own resources. I'm strong. I'm not falling anymore. Look at me. <laughs> Just before you wipe out. You see, that's overconfidence. You're never safer because you're walking in victory. You always need to look to Jesus. That's why I think what was meant were, I think it was Paul, he said, let him who stand be careful lest he fall. You think you're better because you're now walking in some victory? No, you're still on the same slippery slope. That's why you got to look to Jesus every day. Now, what about underconfidence? Uh, remember um, that when we fail, uh, when we sin, we have broken our victory. Then we're weaker and less certain of continued victory. No, remember, it's not about you. When you fail, you're, no you're not weaker. You just need to realign and get yourself looking back to Jesus. Is this helpful for anybody? I mean, this is the practical stuff because you will sin. 
So, don't, you know, some people in the Middle East have these little flagellistic things. They beat themselves. Some of us beat ourselves. Oh, what I thought, what I did. Oh, my goodness. Just throw the thing out and look back to Jesus and realign your thinking to what he has said, and it's credited to your account as righteousness. Let me give you one more, and that's pride. And that's holy trust in Christ for victory can lead to realizing that many other Christians aren't walking in the same place of trusting Jesus. They're struggling and they're, they're you know, trying harder and oh my goodness. And, and th this really is, if you get a hold of it, it's revelation that begins to change how you understand life and how you live in God's grace. But be careful that if you get a hold of this and recognize it's not about you, it's about him, and when you sin, you simply confess it and shout victory. Jesus is faithful and has set me free. But you see all these other people now living under, wallowing in and dealing with this got to row my own canoe kind of concept. The problem is, is that can cause you to be judgmental toward them or critical toward other people. Uh, God doesn't want us to be judgmental or critical or talking or gossiping about um, anyone else. You have nothing that was not given to you by Jesus. Did he really say that? You have nothing that was not given to you by Jesus. I don't have to perform anymore. Jesus paid my penalty. He became my substitute. Jesus has broken the power of sin in my life. I believe that. Can I still? Yes. But I'm looking unto Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. It has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with him. He sets us free from performance. He sets us free from the penalty of our sin. He sets us free from the power of our sin. And our responsibility, let's say it again one more time, is to believe and receive. Is that it? Yeah. Now remember how the thing at Philippi concluded when the jailer rushed in and Paul and Silas, oh, this is going to be good. What was his question? What must I do to be saved? What was Paul's response? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved along with your entire household. See, that's why the good news is such good news. It's scandalous. It's the scandal of heaven that God would take the likes of us I mean, I'm, I mean, you know, I mean me. I, that God would take the likes of us and bestow upon us a crown of riches, a robe of righteousness, that he would now call us holy and acceptable and beyond reproach. Do you see yourself that way? Holy and acceptable and beyond or above reproach. You say, ah, here, here's what you got to do. Don't paddle your canoe any faster or harder. Simply bring your thinking into alignment 
with what God has said about you. And you will be saved from your past, from your present, and also from your future. Because your eyes are fixed upon Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Transforming how we think, Pastor Michael will pick up next week, impacting how we act, impacting what we speak. It's the grace of God that is given to us that causes us to begin to deny ungodliness, Peter says. Well, my wife admonished me not to go too long because she has the children this morning. (laughs) So let us pray for just a moment. Shall we do that? Lord, can it really be true that you love us the way your word describes it? Can it really be true that this scandal of heaven is so remarkable that you would condescend to the likes of us and based upon what Jesus did, call us righteous and holy and above reproach? Beloved, Sanctification is a big word, and many have defined that as growing in your ability to express grace. But the Bible teaches that sanctification is a person. Jesus has become unto us righteousness and our sanctification. Lord, would you give revelation into this word this morning? so that we might cease from our labors, so that we might stop performing and working so hard and simply believe what you have said is true and receive what you have said freely by grace through faith. Lord, there are, in fact, probably some here this morning that are struggling with their sin. I speak to you this morning. Stop striving. Stop wrestling. Stop trying to do it in yourself and allow Jesus, who paid for your penalty, to now break the power of that sin in your life. It's not you, it's him. So God, right now, would you begin to touch those hearts that have struggled? Lord, simply show them that their thinking has been amiss. And now supernaturally, by the power of your spirit, align their thinking into what you have said. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your household. Lord, even in marriages where two people sometimes seem diametrically opposed to each other, 
God, would you begin to enter into those relationships? Cause us to receive grace and to extend grace. For you said that we would be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And then we could prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's stand and we'll be dismissed. If you'd like special prayer this morning before you slip out, feel free to come and some of us are up here. We'd love to pray with you. But would you go encourage today? Doesn't it just sort of take the weight off? Takes the weight off of me takes the weight off of you, I hope. It puts the weight on Jesus. God bless you, and have a wonderful day. Jesus is with you. He's living his life in you, and he simply wants to live his life through you. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. Message today. Oh, God is good.